If you'll join with me, today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. We awake this morning? No, that was a little sad, good morning, but good morning. It's good to see you all. In case you haven't been around for a couple weeks and you don't know who in the world this guy is, although I think I know most of you, my name's Nate, um, and I have the honor of filling in for a few weeks while Pastor Albert is on sabbatical. So I'll be hanging out with you for a little while. If I don't know you, I would love to, to say hello and say hi, but I think I see mostly um, old friends out there. Oh my goodness, and the cutest little person right in front of me who's going to like distract me in the middle of the service. Or bring me joy if I get like caught up and feel bad about my sermon. I'm just going to look at this little person and feel better. But anyway, hey, really is good to be here. I'm glad to teach. So last week, I threw out an idea for an experiment to read the Sermon on the Mount by yourself or with your family or home group or whoever, somebody. And I'm sure, I know a few of you tried it because I got a few texts that were like super encouraging. Somebody listened and like tried it. This is great. Um, I'm sure some of you totally forgot because that's reality. And maybe some of you tried and then kind of forgot or, you know, tried again, um, whatever. But I throw this out there as an experiment, an invitation. Um, and maybe you kind of thought about it last week and then forgot. But I, I would invite you to maybe think about it again, of, of reading the Sermon on the Mount um, throughout the week. I had a, a little fun with it. We, my family and I, actually, I, before I preached last week, I, th I was sure I told my kids we were reading it. Like, I'm 90% sure I did. So then I preached and I went home like, hey, I told a bunch of people that we're all going to read the Sermon on the Mount, and my kids were like, you never said that. We have no idea what you're talking about. You've never, ever said that. And I was like, no, I totally said that. I know I said that. They're like, no, you didn't. We don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, the Sermon on the Mount. Like, anyway, so we're like, how are we going to read as a family? So we end up, we, we, uh, my wife pushes for family dinners, which I appreciate. So we have that, and my wife's like, it's never going to happen unless we try it now, because we're all at the table. Like, we're all going to leave again. So we, we like, took turns reading it, which was, which was fun, and Sometimes awesome, sometimes difficult, but there's just this one point that I like laughed so hard at. So we're like taking turns reading, and my poor son, he has a great life, but he's the middle son. So he's got older daughter, younger daughter. If you, if you can imagine, I don't know if you've ever been like that, he's got older daughter telling him what to do in her own blessed way, and he's got younger daughter, and um, he's in the middle. So we're reading through Matthew 7, and we get to this part about judging, and the language is all about brothers, right? Which in the context means like everybody, but he's reading it like brothers, and he goes, 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, and then he kinda, it kind of hits him and he looks around like, <laughs> like, see, why are you talking to your brother that way? And he's like, or how do you say to your brother? And he's like, see, how do you say to your brother? They, and we all end up like laughing super hard and having a talk that made it kind of more real, right? Like this is actually real life. Because we actually do in real life sometimes, right? See a splinter and go off on somebody for their splinter when we have like a plank in our eye. So we had a good family la laugh about the brother, my, my, my son, pointing to his sister. See, you, you're the, you're the one who judges me. Um, for my little splinter. Anyway, all that to say, I just want to invite you even to think about it again this week of looking at this Sermon on the Mount and just like internalizing it, you know, like reading it until some of these ideas and words about how we view ourselves and God and other humans becomes kind of more second nature to us. Um, thinking about enemies and, and conflict and money and greed and judgment, all these um, real life kind of topics. Okay, so let's get into this morning. Would, would you pray with me again? Let's just take a deep breath. I, I have no idea where you're at this morning um, in your life and what's in the back of your brain this morning, but let's just take a breath trusting that God's with us and can speak to us and encourage us this morning. God, thank you for this church. I just see people who are, are trying to follow you and know that they're loved by you and, and trying to have community together in this church. And I just ask, even this morning, that whatever we are going through individually, that you would encourage us, that, that you would remind us that you are good, and that you love us, and that we have hope, and that you love us exactly as we are in this moment with whatever faults or mistakes we've made recently. But God, would you encourage us, would, would your spirit speak in this place this morning? God, would, would you speak to us, would you help us, would you guide us this morning? Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. So we'll be going through a series called Spiritual Formation for Everyone. And I, I put that word everyone in there really intentionally um, because it's for all of us. Like all of us um, are loved by God and can grow in God. So we're going to explore what, what, is it, what do the scriptures say about how God makes us new people? Because it's all throughout the scriptures, these stories and ideas about how God makes us new and how God grows us. How do we let God transform us? And what part do we play in the transformation? Which frankly can be a little tricky to understand. It's a little nuanced of how do we play a part, but how is it actually God who is forming us? How do we become these people who display the fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about in our real lives? And, and some of the things we're going to talk about seem obvious and simple, but I think we need to look at again. And then some of the ideas might be a little new to you. But I want to throw this out again. If God loves all of us, which he does, right? If God loves all of us and God offers forgiveness to, to all of us, if the good news of God is for all of us, then spiritual formation or the idea of growing in God is also for all of us, right? It's, it's not for super Christians somewhere. It's not for pastors and missionaries somewhere else. It's not for... Like that guy over there who's just so awesome in your church and he's just so kind. It's not just for, for that guy. It's not for that one person who reads the Bible eight hours a day. It, like, it's actually for all of us. This, this idea that, that God wants to make us new as our lives go on and change us from the inside out. This idea of discipleship. That we are, we are disciples of Jesus and God is going to form us and make us new and have this fruit of the Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit lives in us. That's for all 
of us. No matter what age we're in, no matter what cultural background we're in, this idea is for all of us. But sometimes, for many of us, we let the idea creep in that this is just me and I can't change. Like, I just have these big, these flaws. I just am this way. And I know other people seem to be really good at this Christian thing, but I'm just me, and I'm just going to have these same issues my whole life, and I'm going to have these same faults, and I'm going to be grumpy sometimes, and I'm going to be, you know, this sometimes, and I'm never going to be able to do, like, you know, great things for God, because I'm just, I'm just kind of stuck being me. And I think most of us, if we're really honest, admit that we have those moments when we feel like that where we feel like, I'm not really being changed. I'm not going to be changed. I'm just stuck um, in this version of me. And I don't know if I really believe that God can really move me out of this version of me to a different version of me. But I'm going to say over and over again this morning, like a broken record in di from different perspectives of the scriptures, that the story of the scriptures over and over again says, for all of us, if God loves all of us and has power for all of us, that God is also saying, I'm going to make you all new humans. I'm going to restore you, renew you, heal you. This is a part of what's happening in this whole story of God. Now, there is an element of truth into this idea that, like, I just am who I am because God has made us all unique people, right? Like, in this crowd, there are people who have unique personalities and the scriptures go into detail of saying, you have some gifts, and you have some gifts, and you have some gifts, and somehow together we all work together, and it, it makes sense in a body. So there is a reality that, that you have a certain version, you, you are a certain person that God made in love with, you have unique, right, strengths and weaknesses, um, unique difficulties, um, and unique things that you're really good at, like you, you are this complex personality person that God made. So you are going to have some of those tendencies. But God can make you a new version of you, right? With some of the same tendencies, same personality, but God can morph you and renew you into a new person. There's an old bumper sticker, and if you have this bumper sticker, don't, don't think I'm like coming after you or trying to make fun of you. Just give me some grace. But there's a, a sticker I used to see more often that said, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Have you seen that? Do you remember that? Anybody seen that on a car? Like, like... Okay, two of you have, good. Well, Frank, we got three. Um, so this was this saying, I think it was probably more popular like a little while ago. And there's truth in the statement, right? The Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. So there's definitely truth there. We're not perfect, we are forgiven. But that statement kind of leads with this idea of, yeah, I can drive however I want, and like, I'm just gonna do this thing, and, but I'm, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. Um, and I think if you have that idea of that's what the gospel is, that I'm not perfect but I'm forgiven, you're missing this huge thread in the scriptures of we're forgiven and God is making us into new humans. Amen? We are forgiven and we're not perfect and God is saying, I'm going to make you new. I'm going to use the word new about a thousand times this morning. But the scriptures say it over and over again in different ways. And this transformation starts inside, in our hearts, in our souls, and then moves to our actions, to, that, to the outside. It's not behavior change. I'm not going to say, oh, you just got to work harder and change your behavior. But it's the idea of how do we let God change us from the inside out. We're going to read Proverbs 1 through 6. I think it'll be on the screen, or you can look it up in your Bibles. Proverbs 3, 1 through 6. You're probably more familiar with the last couple verses. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching. 
But let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. There's so much in this, in these few verses. The, the first couple of verses remind me of talking about the Sermon on the Mount, that we have this teaching. We have this teaching to look back on, to, to follow. Um, but we also see in this ancient passage, these words, really a focus on our heart or our inner life, that that's where God starts. Deep inside of us, in our heart, in our soul, is where God begins to transform us. And we'll look at this detail more in the coming weeks, talking about kind of the details of formation. But spiritual formation is not about just trying harder to be a better person. That, that, that's not what the scripture says about it. That's not what I'm going to try to say about it. So if you fall asleep in a sermon and hear part of it, you, you might think that's what we're trying to say. Just try harder. You need to be a better person. That's not the point. But the point is that God can change us from the inside out into new people where some of that behavior becomes natural for us. So we have this, this end. I'm going to read this again, five and six. It's so beautiful. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. I want to focus this morning on this idea and this act of trust in God. To, to trust in God with all of our heart. That's a pretty big phrase there. To trust in God with all of your heart. And this, this passage here in Proverbs seems to say that if you trust God with all your heart, that things will shift for you. It talks about peace in this passage. It talks about your paths being made straight. And then it talks about healing and refreshment. Healing and refreshment deep inside you in a deep fundamental way and a change inside of you. This is formation. We trust in God, and God does this, this beautiful thing as we trust him, where, where our hearts are actually shifted, and our paths get more straight, and there's a deeper sense of peace, and there's a healing and a renewal deep inside our bones where we actually need it. This is formation. So I have a question for you. Last week I asked the question, who's your teacher? And we talked about Jesus as teacher. This morning the question is, do we trust that the God who loves us can actually do this in us? And I want us to really pause and really ask ourselves this question in an honest way. Do we trust that God can form us in the way of these scriptures I'm reading? Do we really believe that the God who created the universe can form us and shape us? Or somehow, deep down, if we're honest, are we like, I can believe that God can forgive me, I think, but to believe that God's actually going to make me a different person? I'm not completely sure if I actually honestly believe that. But I want to say that the, the scriptures teach that in the middle of our very messy lives, our lives that have ups and downs and our lives that, that have, where we fall down on our face and we get back up, that in the middle of that, the scriptures teach that, that yes, God has the power 
to actually change us from the inside out. But I want to, I want you just to pause another moment here and to really consider this idea. Do you really trust that God can make you a new person? Is that, is that hard for you? Is that sound great? Yeah. Or is that like, yeah, sometimes I can trust that God is making me a new person. Sometimes I, I can't. But can we trust that God has the power to make us new people? We're going to do a mini tour of Ephesians. I know we've been in Ephesians at Regen for a while. We're going to do a little mini tour this morning, really with, with an eye on formation of God making us new people. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 19. And if you do, if you are somebody who still likes looking you know, at a real Bible with papers and everything, um, not just your phone or a screen, you can do that too. But if you want to turn there, we're going to be in, be in Ephesians for the next few minutes, different passages. But starting in chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of which he has called you, what are the riches of glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the work of his great might. And I love this passage because I, I, I can feel the emotion from Paul. Like if you, if you just read that and you're like, yeah, da, 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 like read it again. Paul is, he's praying for these people he knows and he's praying for them with, with this like deep pastoral compassion, empathy, energy. It's like he's saying, please, I want you to get this. Like I, I sit at home and I pray for you guys and I say, I want you to understand the hope you have. Like I can just imagine Paul being far, far away and thinking about them with this, this deep heart of care for them and saying, I, I just pray so much that you can understand the hope that you have. You can understand the power that's been given to you. Like, I want you to understand that. And so, like, this morning I stand here and I, I, I want to be a little more like Paul because and, and I think for us who have heard Ephesians so many times and we've heard these verses and, yeah, I've heard this before, but, like, I, I'm standing here saying, can we just get a glimpse of the hope we have in God? Amen? Like, can, can, can we get a little glimpse of the hope we have in God? Can we get a little glimpse of the power of God that says, I love you, and I am with you, and I'm going to make you a new person. Trust me. Like, trust my way. I will renew your heart. So this morning, I just hope we can get, like, a little glimpse of this idea that we've probably heard a lot of times, that the power of God is with us. We do have hope, no matter what you're going through, right now, in this moment. So then Paul continues in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. I want you to hear this part. If, you're, if you fell asleep for the first nine verses, catch verse 10, okay? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if you scan verses 1 through 10, who does all the hard work in these 10 verses? Like, over, if you just keep reading it, who is doing the heavy lifting here? Like, who's doing, who has all the action verbs here? It's God. Like, God providing the grace, God providing the hope, God calling us, you know, God doing it. It's all, it's God doing this and God doing that, and then and we are receiving this grace, receiving this hope. And then I want to read this, this sentence again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mean, that's, that's really beautiful writing there. I wish I could write that well. But it's saying, hey, you are created for good works. You are created to do beautiful things on the earth. You are created to do good. But it's not you. you, you it's not your power. Like God's, God's giving this to you. God's giving you the power. And, even, and God's even got them prepared for you. So like, don't put stress on yourself. This isn't about you mustering some energy to gut through something and somehow. No, this is God's doing it. Can you recognize what's God doing? Can you trust that God's doing it? And then can you just go ahead and walk in the things that God is already set up for you to do? So it's like this deep reliance on grace of God, this deep trust that God is doing it. God loves us. It's God's grace. And at the same time, this idea of, and guess what? We were created to do good things. Amen? Amen? Can I? Can I? We were created not to do nothing, not to be like, I don't know if I, we were created to do good things on this earth. Doesn't mean that they have to be famous things, right? Or things that look flashy. They could be simple good things, but we were created to do good things on this earth. All of us, not a couple of us, we were all created to do good things on this earth. So then we get to Ephesians 4. Paul keeps writing, I therefore, a prisoner of, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Then I'm skipping forward a little bit in chapter 4 to verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, again, I'm going to say this again. I know some of us have heard this a bunch of times before. We've heard this message in Ephesians, where we might even be familiar with Paul's kind of language and writing. And if it's not familiar to you, whether you're here or on video, I want to say you are welcome here. I'm not saying you have to be familiar with it. So if this is totally new, we are so glad you are here. Um, so glad that you are interested in learning about this Jesus who we worship. 
But we're going to talk about spiritual formation for the next several weeks. And I just wanted to make a couple things clear. Get a couple things thought through before we do that. Before we talk about spiritual disciplines, about rhythms with God, about how, what are these ways that we connect to God so that God can change us. A, a rhythm of life or a rule of life, patterns of life, habits of life to connect us to God. Before we go into the Sermon on the Mount, in a few weeks we're going to go kind of more in detail to big chunks of the Sermon on the Mount. Before we do that, I want to pause and say, what do we really believe about what God can do inside us? Because we can go through a sermon series, and you could get a preacher way better than me to come in here and preach like the best of spiritual formation hits, right? But if you don't actually believe that God can actually change you from the inside out, that might be just a bunch of white noise. If you don't actually trust that God can actually make you new, it might just be a bunch of going through a bunch of steps that are really nice doctrine. If you don't actually believe that God actually is with me, God actually is living inside me. God actually wants to keep shaping my heart from the inside out. So I want to keep thinking about this. Do you trust God? And do you trust not just that God can forgive you, but that God can make you new? Do you trust that God's love is so big? Like Paul writes, like, God's love is so big, folks. It's so good. The power is so great. Do you trust in that, that that power could actually transform you? Do you trust that God can actually transform the really messy, messed up parts of your inner life? Those parts that you're ashamed of? Do you trust that God can see that and still love you and that God is like, I can handle that too? Or are there parts of yourself where it's like, it's hard for me to believe God can change this part of me because I don't want anyone to see it. I'm just going to tuck it over here and pretend it's not there and then be ashamed of it once in a while. But do you trust that God can even reach into that part of your heart and shift it? Like, do, do you trust that the parts of your heart that's broken, that God can actually come in and repair that? Because all of us, in different ways, have parts of our heart that have been broken over time. From our childhood, from relationships, from trauma, from all kinds of things that have broken parts of our heart, and they haven't been healed all the way. Do you trust that God loves you so much to not just forgive you, but to actually help you find a sense of healing from the parts of your heart that have been broken way down deep inside? Do, do you trust that God can actually help you shift some of those habits that you have? Some of those habits that you would like to stop doing and that sometimes we, we just kind of give up on. Like, I'm just stuck with this habit. I, I just want to run away from it. I'm stuck on it. I was going through my notes this morning, and this story, this idea keeps popping in my head when I go through this part of my notes, so I'm going to share it. My wife is going to laugh really hard as she watches this. I, uh, there's this I'm not going to say the name. There's a certain Christian leader who has a lot of influence that I really think says dumb things, like constantly. And I, th I think leads people astray and like, is doing horrible things and says horrible things and is ignorant and is, okay, I get very judgmental with this person. So I follow this person on Instagram just to get riled up every day. And I'll look at it, and I'm like, oh, and I get all riled up. And my wife's like, you're looking at so-and-so's Instagram. Yes, I'm looking at it again. And, and it's like, you should really just stop it. You're too busy with work to do 
to stare at this guy's Instagram and get riled up. And then I debate, should I, should I put a snarky comment and I type it out and then I delete it and then I type it out and then I delete it? And then I go, this is, this is dumb. I have too many things to do. I have like, right, I have work to ministry to do. I have three kids. Like, why am I spending half an hour getting riled up? This is bad for my soul. And so I stop following and then I block him and then I block his other ministry account. And then, I, and then I, if I try to look at him, I can't see because I blocked him. And then a week later, I'm like, I should just see. Like, well, I wonder what just happened. And then I do it, and I look at it. So it's been, it's been like a year. And there's moments when like, I'm writing a sermon like this, right? So I'm writing this sermon, and I got my phone on this little stand at my office. And I got my Bibles, my commentaries. And then there's this part of me that wants to go look up the guy, right? In the middle of, I don't have time. I got to finish my sermon. And I look up the dude, and I'm like, what is wrong with me? that I keep doing something that I know that's bad for me, my wife and I have decided it's bad for me, I've prayed about and it's bad for me, but something inside me wants to keep looking at it. Like some part of me is addicted to the drama of looking at it and judging this person. All that to say, if I say these things about trusting God and God going into those habits, we all have those, amen? Like we all have things inside of us and sometimes I, if I'm honest, like even this morning, I'm like, how can I preach this sermon when I can't stop looking at this guy's Instagram account and getting fired up when I know it's wrong for me and I know it's unhelpful? I say that to say we're, we are in solidarity as human beings, right? Who, who've got stuff we got to work through. But do you trust? Like, can I trust that God can help me move past this silly but dumb thing I'm doing? Like, can I trust that I can actually move past that? Like, can I trust that God can actually help me with that? So there's one last slide here. Can we really trust in the power of God? So number one, God really does love us more than we can imagine. Even when I look at my dumb Instagram thing, God still loves me in that moment, and God still loves you in your moments. So can you trust that God loves you that much? And at the same time, can we trust that God really can and will form or transform us into the image of Christ? Because that's what the Bible says. That God is transforming us into the image of Christ. That, that God is transforming us so the fruit of the Spirit is, can come naturally out of us. So can we trust. And again, I want to say, we exist in what seems like a messy paradox. On one hand, we're taught to be honest about our faults, right? To be honest about where we mess up, to, to be humble, to acknowledge we're broken humans, to acknowledge we need God's grace, and we're going to keep sinning. And on the other hand, the scriptures also teach to have hope that God's making you new, that God's making you into a new person, that you can be transformed. And so there's this tension or paradox we have to hold of being humble enough to know that we're broken and believing God enough to know that God's going to heal our brokenness. Is that confusing sometimes or is it just me? Because <laughs> I think about this a lot and then there's still moments when I'm like, wait, God says this, right? That we're imperfect. And then God says he's making us new at the same time. Somehow these things are both true in the Gospels. But this morning I'm emphasizing that God can transform us. One closing story, then we'll, we'll go back to worship in, in just a moment. Just a quick little story. As I was wrestling with this idea of trusting 
God, that he can make us new, even though sometimes I don't trust God. There's, there's a story in the Gospels about a father who brought his son to be healed by Jesus. And it's in a couple different Gospels, told a little differently. He, he's bringing his son to be healed by Jesus, has an interaction with Jesus, basically says, can you do this? Jesus says, all things are possible for one who believes. Yeah, everything's possible if, if you believe. Saying, yeah, I, yeah, of course I can heal your son. And then the man yells out, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, like imagine like being with Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief at the same time. And this is how I feel this morning. And, and I want to invite you into that prayer. As you think about, do I trust that God can transform me? Do I trust that God can make me new? Do I trust that God can heal me, form me into the image of Christ? Like, can you say, yes, I believe in God at the same time, would you help my unbelief to trust that you can make me new? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us, and then we're going to take communion in just a moment. But, but I want to pray for us and, and even just have this pause where we can pray together to God. Yeah, God, I'm trying to believe that you can change me and help my unbelief. So would you pray with me? God, we're, we are broken and in some cases wounded and we have faults and we have issues. And yet, God, you say that you love us with those. And you say that you care about us. And you say that you've lifted us up and sat us with Jesus and given us power, given us hope, and that you're making us new, that your spirit lives inside us and can make us new people who, who love and have patience and have kindness and are gracious and humble. God, I, I, I pray this morning, God, on our behalf, God, we believe and at the same time, God, would you help our unbelief? Let us trust you, that you are with us, that you won't leave us, that you will walk with us, that you will transform us into new human beings in your image. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to take communion. And how many of you have, most of you have, one of these cool little cups? Okay, so Stephanie has some extras if you don't have the communion elements. It's written about the Lord's Supper in Mark, a couple over here, in Mark chapter 14. As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them. I'm going to break the plastic as I read this. After blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup when he had given thanks. He gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So if you want to take this now, the body and blood of Christ. Actually, just take it now. I think most of you are. So this is the body and blood of Christ. Let's just take this together. Amen. Thank you, God.